gentlemen, to Green Waves, the environmental science podcast brought to you by University of Miami Eco Agency, the student government organization dedicated to spreading environmental awareness and sustainability initiatives not only throughout the UM campus, but also through the greater South Florida community. Today, I have the great pleasure of introducing Teddy Lutelier. He is the current sustainability director for the University of Miami. He has passions in renewable energy, sustainability, and environmental science. He started the U in 2014, and his office is in charge of initiating, monitoring, tracking, and promoting sustainability initiatives across divisions, schools, and campuses within Miami. He's also currently involved in many um, off-campus environmental service organizations throughout South Florida. And prior to joining UM, he was an adjunct professor at FIU, as well as other institutions teaching environmental science, sustainability, as well as environmental policy. Teddy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Teddy, I want to start off this podcast just asking what your current role and responsibilities are here at the U, and then what made you take up such a position? So, I'm the uh, sustainability director for, for UM, uh, mostly based on the Coral Gables Rasmus campus. Although, when I started in 2014, uh, I was also uh, a lot on the medical campus. I'm still there um, once, uh, once a week, maybe a let's more probably once every two weeks, really. And we, we still have a, a lot of great initiatives over there, um, but they have a separate kind of leadership uh, for our facilities and in general, uh, different leadership on the med campus and new health especially. So, so that's gonna be a, a different kind of uh, initiative over there. Mm-hmm. Totally. So looking at your time here at UM, has there been any initiatives that you have felt particularly connected with or any movements that you felt have been particularly relevant to college age students at this time? Yes, I mean, because we're all and college students, but everybody I think should and at least uh, most of the time are concerned with the future of this planet and us on it, right? Uh, And and we know, because we're in Miami, that the biggest threat to that future, so we don't end up in an apocalyptic world kind of uh, scenario, is to to face uh, the threat that climate change is bringing. Sea level rise is the one that we've been talking about a lot in Miami because we're kind of a, a ground zero for that. But extreme heat is another one and many others, you know, like uh, health uh, problems related to climate, for instance. So, uh, so my, my, uh, my, pride, my pride maybe and, and joy is really to have been able to advance those, uh, those things and, and try to be part of the solution and bring not only students, but also faculty and staff uh, on that journey. It started well before me, honestly. Uh, in 2007, uh, the university signed a, a commitment with Second Nature, who was actually last week at UM for their annual summit. So we had 300 plus uh, green people like me <laughs> from all higher ed in the country joining for, for a huge summit uh, in three days and talking about uh, what we're just mentioning, uh, carbon neutrality and how we can make sure we don't get over that threshold of temperature on this planet uh, and how higher ed can lead the way, right? So in 2007, we signed this commitment. The commitment was to go carbon neutral by 2050. Um, that's still uh, in place. And, um, but on the Coral Gables and Rasmus campus, we're also looking at you know, shorting this, uh, th- th- this timeline and maybe uh, getting there by 2035, which uh, is definitely possible um, because of something that happened uh, recently. In 2019, we started the discussion and signed an agreement with uh, uh, with FPL, Florida Power and Light, 
which is um, the, the, the utility that we um, pay our electricity bills to in, uh, in South Florida and Southeast Florida. It's, they're, they're the only one. It's a regulated market. And um, they started a program that year called the Solar Together program. It's a solar community program where basically uh, people can sign on, individual, I, I actually did it for my house, uh, individual can, uh, can pay a little bit more uh, than the, the usual kilowatt hours price over a period of uh, seven years or more. And then after that, they get a rebate. And the, the, the agreement you sign with FPL is over 30 years. And um, that's what UM decided to do. Uh, for the three campuses and 100% of our electricity, which was really, really bold, honestly, because it means that we're paying a lot more for electricity right now. At one point, we'll pay less. That's the good news. But uh, it also uh, means that we, we, we decided to, to go 100%. A lot of people didn't do that. A lot of big consumers in the, in the county went 50%, 30%. We decided to go 100%, which I think was an amazing news that I was really happy about. Because with each megawatt hours that the university consumes, uh, FPL re can retire on our behalf what we call a renewable energy credit. That's basically the equivalent of one megawatt hour of solar energy. And uh, with those RECs, that's how we call them, the RECs, um, I was able to, uh, to include that in our uh, greenhouse gas inventory that we have to do every, every year. Me and uh, Carly Lachlan, she's the, the new... Uh, sustainability analyst at, at UM. I was a, a one-guy office for a long time, but now I'm really happy to have uh, someone on my team, a uh, very smart uh, young um, lady. And she she's now in charge of uh, updating the greenhouse gas inventory. And the last one we did for uh, fiscal year 2022 shows a huge drop in scope two emissions. Scope two meaning uh, electricity that we buy from, from FPL. Uh, in some uh, areas of the country, um, and not in Florida, I don't think so. Maybe you, maybe in Central Florida, I'm not sure. Uh, some campuses have a power plant on their campus, so like a, a natural gas power plant, for instance. We don't. We buy all the electricity uh, directly from from FPL, so it's a huge carbon footprint for us, you know. And so being able to to basically offset all, all that consumption has been just a, a game changer, De definitely. So when you see those uh, those numbers they're available on the website miami.edu slash sustainability uh, you can you can click on the some of the sustainability planning page and you'll see um, wh wh what's happening uh, and uh, that's why we feel like it might be possible actually to to get there by 2035 at least for this campus and uh, rasmus campus medical campus again uh, faces different challenges uh, hospitals it's a different beast mm -hmm. How do you think the University of Miami stacks up to other, you know, universities in the in the southern parts of the states? I mean, solar energy has been kind of the forefront of the news in mm -hmm. terms of renewable sources, and mm -hmm. we certainly have enough sunlight here. So, do you think that the University of Miami is a little more inclined or more um, primed and ready to sort of take advantage of this renewable shift, or do you think there's still a lot of obstacles in the way of that kind of change? For us, I'm talking about UM, I'm not talking about Southeast Florida. For us the decision has been made. We're locked in this contract for, for the next 25 years. So um, we, we committed already to, to renewable energy, to solar uh, especially. And, um, and again, I'm really proud of that. Um, we should all as a UM community. Uh, not everybody did it. So um, in terms of commitment to solar energy, 
uh, a lot of people will will uh, will tell you that having a regulated market where you cannot go to some other company like in the case of California and other states where you can pick the your 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 provider is a is a problem it might be I'm not getting into the the the, the uh, this uh, debate, but uh, the reality is that FPL recently decided to launch this big solar community program that we, we are benefiting from right now. Because, to be completely honest, even if we uh, wished and we had the, the, the feasibility to, the, not the feasibility, but the, the money, <laughs> to make it short, to put uh, solar panels on each roof of this campus, it wouldn't be enough at all. To power all the load that we need, I mean, all the AC that we need to power those buildings that are working almost for them 24/7, you know, and labs that are really energy guzzlers. Also, uh, we, we wouldn't be able to to match that load. So, so in a sense, a lot of universities around the country and even in Florida are trying to find a solution. They're like, okay, uh, let's put solar uh, rooftop solar. And it's true, FPL hasn't been <laughs> a great supporter of uh, rooftop solar because it's not their business model, and probably they see that as a competition. I'm not sure, but uh, the, the truth is, uh, th those uh, other universities, um, uh, they're still wondering, you know, uh, how they can get to that uh, carbon zero for scope two emissions, uh, because by putting as much solar panels as they can on their roof, they still have a huge gap to fill. So that's that's really what we were able to to address with this agreement, and um, that became really active in 2021. Really, uh, that's when the the recs were retired, and uh, that's uh, that's where we are right now. Yeah, I gotta ask though, you know, trying to establish a, such a long-term plan for renewable energy, was there significant pushback from university or from community members to such a like a lock-in to renewable energy? Um, like any big institution, it's, it's a collective decision. Um, board of Trustees uh, like the idea. Um, for me, uh, it makes perfect sense because I'm all about <laughs> carbon neutrality and sustainability, but it, it had to be a, a financial decision that made sense. And that's what happened, really. Um, it was not a decision made uh, only on carbon commitments. It was also and mainly a decision made for financial reasons because it, the program comes with a return on investment, which is something that by doing it on our own would have been um, probably not covering those 100% of uh, consumption at all, like really far from that. So that was uh, something we, we view, I guess, as a as a really beneficial uh, tool to, 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 to reach those uh, those commitment that we have, and at the same time um, have a, some kind of return. You know, we'll still be paying uh, FPL in, in in 25 years, and even in, in eight years when when um, uh, the, the premium is passed to goes to a, a rebate, we'll still be paying uh, our bills. It's not like when you put solar on your roof, and at one point, yes, you don't pay anything to your utility because you, you you're able to to match that load. That's probably something you can do. Uh, at the residential, you know, uh, multi, you know, family house level, much harder when you're talking about commercial and especially like several floors kind of building campus that we have here, for instance. Definitely. Do you anticipate any sort of shift towards um, the similar kind of model that UM has set uh, for small businesses or for other commercial businesses throughout South Florida? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And FPL has already, already announced that they're going to be um, 
launching a new uh, uh, round of uh, agreements. Um, so people are already in a waiting list, actually. Um, and uh, they also made an announcement that they wanted to, b to be um, uh, net zero carbon by uh, 2045. So that's uh, another really bold uh, statement that um, we're happy with. Yeah, definitely. Switching gears real quick, looking back to when you first joined University of Miami in 2014, you implemented the university's first comprehensive sustainability action plan, mm -hmm. um, including things like you mentioned with renewable energy, as well as composting, pollinator gardens, uh, rooftop solar panels, etc. So looking back on those sort of initiatives and those projects, um, do you feel like we've come a long way and should celebrate? Do you think there's a lot of work to be done? What kind of emotions does that past success? I'm always uh, looking at the future. So uh, it's nice to celebrate and we've done a lot. Yeah, for sure. But um, always looking at the future. So I cannot address that question without mentioning the role of a certain program that we based our action plan on. Honestly, everything that we've done uh, has been based on this program. The, co the program is called STARS. Sustainability Tracking uh, Rating Assessment, no, Assessment Rating System, STARS. It's the flag program from the American Association for Sustainability in Higher Education. Uh, it's an organization uh, that was born in the late 90s and honestly has been leading the way for most higher ed in the institution in the country. Uh, they have something like 2,000 members. And the STARS program is a, a program, a platform, online cloud-based platform that's a transparent tool uh, to benchmark yourself against other um, institutions. There's no real competition because everybody wants to, 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 to do the right thing and to, to reach those, uh, those goals for sustainability, but it's, um, it's a good way to compare yourself and see where you could improve and, and it's, it's a whole network of people you can meet with. They were here uh, not long ago again. Uh, last week uh, a lot of them came and a lot of good exchange new ideas that you get inspired by or you can also provide those ideas to others so the stars program works like this um you can apply every three years and that's what we've been doing uh, until now might um, change the frequency but for now it's every three years and um it's it's a, it's a program that really tracks everything when i say everything they have several categories they have for instance um, academic so we track all the classes that we teach. Are they focused on sustainability and resilience? Which is the case now. We have the Climate Resilience Academy. We're so happy about this lunch uh, not long ago, last year. And, um, but also classes that uh, include sustainability in the curriculum, but not focused on it. Like some classes, like um, nursing, nursing school classes, you wouldn't think about sustainability or climate change in that kind of uh, setting. Well, actually, when they talk about nutrition, they talk about the role that the food system plays in um, in climate change, for instance. So that's that's one thing. Uh, you may not spend the whole semester on it, but even if you if you spend as a professor uh, one week making sure that students get the most out of it, that's a that's a way for us to 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 show that we were teaching uh, sustainability in the classroom. And uh, so that's classroom. You have also research, obviously, all the research that we promote. A lot of the U-Link program, uh, U-Link at UM is a, is a very innovative kind of uh, launching system for, for, for uh, tenure track uh, uh, faculty members and researchers that want to, to, to try. Uh, they have an idea, they have a, a research idea, 
and uh, this is kind of a seed fund for for uh, for those kind of research. It's usually very innovative, very multidisciplinary because we cannot fix the issues we are facing with climate change by uh, only being engineering or only architecture or only uh, um, chemistry. No, everything needs to go together, and that's what this U-Link system has been promoting. And to be real, a lot of the research promoted by U-Link has been uh, around topics related to sustainability, resilience, uh, and health. So that's, uh, that's one big section of STARS. The second one is uh, engagement. Engagement on campus. So what you mentioned at the beginning, you're part of the Student Government Eco Agency that I co-advise with uh, Heather Stevens from Student Affairs. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a way to get engaged. Uh, but people uh, don't know that there are many other ways, many subcommittee of eco, like uh, the Green Committee, like uh, the eco reps, uh, and uh, now also yeah, the Green Patrols, uh, the, a lot of different groups, and also different student group already that existed prior or um, saw the light after um, eco was born. And talking about Climate Reality Project, for instance, plant-based canes, um, the role of... Uh, plant-based food in, in climate change and sustainability is big. Uh, talking about the community garden club, for instance, same thing, urban gardening is probably one of the top 15 solutions to uh, climate change. It's been uh, shown by the Drawdown Project, for instance. Uh, and many others, many others. Uh, the USGBC, uh, lead building, we've talked a lot about solar energy, but the, the truth is before we signed that contract with the FPL, we're already uh, reaching uh, reduction in emissions, uh, and that came mostly for the commitment that we had in 2007. Commitment was we're going to build only lead uh, building that will be certified lead silver. Can you speak on what lead certification means for building? So US uh, GBC is US Green Building Council, and uh, their flag program has been the, the lead uh, certification for new buildings, but not only. And it's basically making sure that buildings have a way to benchmark themselves uh, in terms of uh, their performance for energy, water, waste, building material, connectivity. So it's a system uh, that you get credits for, and, uh, and you can either get uh, silver, bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. We have a platinum building on campus, the Frost School of Music Studio North and South, they're, they're platinum. Uh, they have like really amazing feature, like a rainwater harvesting system that feeds wow. the yeah. toilets, for instance. So when you flush the toilet over there, it's with rainwater, wow. which makes sense because otherwise, you in Miami in general, you flush it with perfectly drinkable pristine water. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make much sense, but that's uh, the way we, we we've done things uh, until now. And um, and so yeah, that that's a that's a big commitment that that we have. Uh, so going back to stars. We were um, at um, Silver in 2016, and we reached uh, uh, gold in 2019, and again gold uh, last year. Meaning that we're part of this club of um, universities like Princeton, like Yale, that are also gold. So uh, we we have a, 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 an ambition. The ambition is to join the other group, <laughs> and that is platinum. 
and uh, ASU among them, uh, CU Boulder, another another one, and many others, uh, but not that many actually. I think it's it's a group of less than 20 universities that are platinum. So we hope hopefully we'll get there in 2025. Uh, we, we have a little strategy uh, to to get there, but uh, and the strategy is to tackle all those credits. So I talked about academic engagement, engagement. Uh, in, on campus, but also in the community. So uh, everything that the Butler Center does, for instance, that's a, something very important for us. Um, also uh, at the staff level, you know, everything that HR is able to provide for for the uh, for the employees, super important. Same thing for the faculty members. Uh, and then you have operations. The, the, the bulk of credits are coming from operations. Um, and uh, it's everything, everything, not only energy and uh, water and waste, but also grounds. How do we care for our landscape? Uh, uh, transportation, what kind of uh, transportation alternatives are we providing to our community? Uh, food also, uh, what kind of food? Are they locally grown? Are they sustainable? So there's a lot of different credits like this in the operation uh, section. And then you have also uh, planning and and and, um, and well-being, planning and um, governance. So you have uh, everything from uh, how is the governance at UM functioning? Do we have a representation from students? Which is the case. The board of trustee has one of the senate senator from the student senate present at the meeting. Um, but also, what kind of investment are we uh, promoting? So for a long time, uh, Climate Reality Project was pushing for a divestment. Uh, we're so, so happy to say that uh, we actually have a plan now, uh, after several years and persistence. And, uh, and to be truthful, also very um, great understanding from our board of trustee and from our treasurer. Uh, we decided to, to, to get there by 2028. We'll be uh, fossil fuel free uh, on the endowment investment. Uh, so if uh, that, that was a big achievement also. And, uh, and even something like a smoke-free uh, campus, that's something that starts track. Just to, 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 to give you an idea of the amount of data that we need to, that's why it's every three years, because it's so huge, it would be a full-time job. And so uh, it's, uh, but it's a really, really great tool that I would say allowed me, especially when I was um, uh, starting here, allowed me to really leverage, uh, you know, support and uh, collaboration from everybody on this campus. Uh, I'm talking about administration, faculty, students, everybody's been really helpful to achieve those goals. Yeah, do you uh, ever see the South Florida community as a whole sort of gearing up in that same way to support sustainability? You mentioned, you know, South Florida really is the front lines against sea level rise, a lot of the effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. Do you see small businesses or even on the individual citizen level um, that sort of personal action, that sort of initiative. Yeah, I think uh, that's what I, I, I tell students, and not only actually uh, staff and faculty also when I do presentation in class or in um, for the green office program, green lab program. It's that there's uh, individual things that you can do, not only in the workplace, especially because right now a lot of people are working from home. So uh, it's definitely individual things that you need to do if you want to save money, for instance, <laughs> need to lower your thermostat for sure. But um, uh, the first thing that I, I'm telling them is that you can do a lot individually, but if you do it on your own, it might not have many ripple effects. And so uh, you can be the best consumer, ethical con consumer ever, if uh, all your neighbors around your, your neighborhood are 
doing the opposite, eh, it's not really working then. So some issues uh, cannot only be fixed by uh, buying the right thing. It, it needs to have a chance to exist. And that's when regulations and uh, government uh, uh, pl plays a role. So I, I, I think as a, as a citizen, uh, making sure that you, you're aware of what's going on and, and making sure that you, you, you exist your right to vote, obviously, but also get engaged in, um, in everywhere you can. And not only uh, in local government, you can become part of a committee, um, uh, Parks and Recreation Committee or other kind of committees in, uh, in your city or in the county, but also uh, with a nonprofit organization. We have a big, big network of really great organization in, uh, in our region. And uh, thinking about the Clio Institute, for instance, uh, Dreaming Green, Citizens for Better South Florida, uh, Catalyst Miami, among many others. Okay, and uh, and they're doing uh, an amazing job at, you know, advocating for more policy, to to fight climate change and to be ready to, to face the climate crisis. And I think it, it it was useful because the new mayor that we have in Miami Dade, at least, I'm not going to talk about South Florida. It's uh, I'm going to focus maybe on on Miami Dade. Uh, mayor Levin Cava is one of those people. She comes from that world of uh, uh, community uh, activism, and uh, and she understands perfectly the the challenges and the uh, the need the things we need to address, especially locally in our region. So I think r right now, for people that are interested in getting involved, that's the right moment because you have all the support that you need from our local government. Doesn't mean that at the state level is the same, but at least at the local level, even in cities, uh, city of Core Gables, for instance, is amazing. Uh, they have a, their own sustainability coordinator, my friend Matt Anderson, and uh, the mayor uh, Vince Labo is is actually a very very green-minded uh, person. So uh, and it has nothing to do with the affiliation to a, po a political party. Actually, huh? it can be on the left or on the right. Everybody in our region, in, in Southeast Florida and in Miami-Dade, especially. Uh, are really aware of, of the, 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 those issues and they act upon it. So that that's great, meaning that you can have that support here uh, as an individual citizen. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise there's everything that you can do as a consumer that is also very important, you know, buy the right thing. Not consume as much, I think that's also a very simple yeah. thing to do because we don't need as much stuff. Although when you don't have much, you'd like to have a little bit more. I, I, that's definitely a problem, a lot of uh, inequity nowadays. So um, I understand that too. But, um, but there's a, a lot of ways to, to exert your, your power over the future by buying the right thing. Or not, not buying at all. That's another discussion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think consumerism is one of those issues that I've learned about since a young age. And it's one that I've really resonated with. Um, just because it is it is very interdisciplinary, it covers a lot of aspects of a young person's life, mm -hmm. uh, where there's so much to buy, there's so much to spend money on, and then the idea of, you know, being more cognizant of the impact of all those products. I want to hear a little bit more about your balance between your work here at the university as well as with some of the uh, organizations you mentioned in South Florida. So how do you find that balance? Uh, has that been a very meaningful sort of engagement, very meaningful use of your time? And then do you have any sort of advice for other members of South Florida communities where, you know, they might want to get into sustainability, they might care, but they simply don't know how to fit into their life right now? Um, I sit on the Coral Gables Sustainability Advisory Board. That committee, honestly, is composed of people that have nothing to do with sustainability. Uh, some of them are real estate agents. 
and some other people are um, working the travel industry. So, so you have all kind of people with the same concern uh, for, for, for our community and the future of our community and the threats that uh, climate change uh, 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 endanger. Uh, and so the, 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 those people, they, they just uh, decided to be part of that, that board because they wanted to make a difference. And my, my message to people is really you don't have to work in sustainability because it, to be completely honest, I was everywhere 10 years ago. Right now, a little less. <laughs> Simply because I guess my job is that, you know, most uh, and sometimes I have, I have long days, but uh, I love it. I love it. So because of my work, I'm going to be invited to speak in those events, to be part of this fair, to be representing at the tabling. And so this is already something that I'm doing through my job. I don't consider that extra thing because it's, it's really because uh, of the fact that I represent UM and people know me because of... Uh, of University of Miami, but um, uh, but what what I was mentioning with the board is that yes, you don't need to be uh, working in sustainability. I mean, I know a lot of students are wondering what they should be uh, should do in the future, and that's definitely something very appealing to be able to work in something you're really really passionate about. I, I'm lucky, honestly, to to to, to do that. But uh, but even if you're not working in that field, again. There's a lot of ways, and actually, it should be something that everybody understands. It's uh, more crucial, I think, to have that mentality when you're a sales rep, when you're a, a cab driver, when you're a CEO, when you're an accountant, wherever you are, uh, a police officer, it's really where th this mentality, th this care for uh, our community and the environment and the future of this planet is the more crucial because uh, as a sustainability director that's my job <laughs> so <laughs> it's normal but uh it's a little bit more challenging when you have a full-time job and i understand you know people have zillion things to do and that's why i'm so uh, admirative of uh people that despite the fact that they're i, I remember harvey Rubin, clerk of the courts in miami Someone who, who really had a lot of responsibilities. You know, every time you pay a ticket, actually, it was him on the... Uh, unfortunately, he, he passed away recently. He was a great, great person. A hero, I would say. He was one of those pioneers that, because of his link and his passion to the local community, was able to advance those uh, issues about climate change, about the fact that... And I'm talking about the, the beginning of the 90s. So he was really a pioneer, you know, like... Uh, uh, telling uh, people from from Miami, you know, we need to prepare for what's coming. Uh, we need to act upon it. And didn't have to. Was a a lawmaker, um, and uh, he, he had a job that had not much to do with this. But he used this power, he used his passion to to do something like this. That's that's really for me, uh, the the greatest hero in the community. Some of the people that may have graduated from marketing or, or business and suddenly they realize, let's do something social. Uh, thinking about Art Dunning, for instance, uh, is uh, the CEO of the um, uh, a great community-supported agriculture. Not really, uh, but uh, it's a great food, alternative food system company called uh, Urban uh, Oasis Paradise. Um, uh, Urban Oasis Project, I'm sorry. Uh, 
and that's another hero that I, uh, I found in the community. You know, people that uh, really started from nothing and offered a solution to a problem. Solution, for instance, to offer real, good, healthy, organic food to everyone, even to people that cannot afford it. So, so, so th th those kind of uh, people, I think, are uh, really uh, the one that uh, I have a lot of admiration for. Definitely. And you just kind of mentioned uh, my next point. You mentioned food scarcity um, in tandem with environmental issues and, and climate change and such. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the, the symptoms you look at South Florida and you see most most obviously, whether it be sea level rise or, like you mentioned, the later impacts of, of food scarcity and gentrification, mm -hmm. uh, urban expansion, stuff like that. So where, where do you see these environmental issues um, coming up in ways that people who aren't in environmental science may not see as directly? So, uh, something that is a little sad, but it's real, even I can identify with that, is that you, you don't, we don't get involved in the community as much, you know, you tend to have long hours, you go home, uh, watch a Netflix uh, series, eat some nice food, maybe you're going to go out uh, with the family, uh, but not always trying to discover something else, you know, in the, in the community. And so you tend to forget about other part of the the county. I'm just again talking only about Miami Dade. Uh, they are not as lucky. And uh, just one topic that comes to my mind is extreme heat. Uh, I remember when I came to this country uh, 25 years ago, I had to live in a in, uh, North Miami Beach in a in a little apartment. They didn't have central AC. And I'm telling you, August without central AC, even at that time, <laughs> there was no uh, climate change uh, talks uh, at that time yet, but it was unbearable. And uh, the truth is, uh, there, there's still a lot of people living in those conditions in our county. So in August, not having any AC in your house, that's just a uh, uh, life-threatening for some people. You know, And that's something that needs to be addressed and the county decided to actually create a position. The first one in the country at that time, I think it was two or three years ago, called the uh, uh, Chief Heat Officer. Jane Gilbert is the, the one. And she reports to the mayor directly, actually. And so, again, the county takes that very seriously, and, and uh, that's one of the topics that inequity, you know, and trying to bring, that, you know, to close that gap uh, is crucial because you cannot just have one section of the city left on his own and uh, dying of heat? What, what, in which country do we live? No, that's not possible. So uh, we're trying to, some of the taxpayer money goes to uh, programs like, for instance, bringing AC to, and yes, it's not, uh, for now at least, uh, extremely sustainable because the, the AC is the reason why we, we consume so much electricity. But again, FPL is doing its job to try to, to get to the carbon neutrality thing. But inequity is another big issue and uh, re related to, to climate change. that the, the extreme heat is basically aggravating those kind of inequalities. And so that's, that's what the, 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 the mayor and our team, uh, the resilience team, is trying to, to address. Um, one thing I'm, I'm personally interested in, okay, that the, the, the mayor and her team, again, uh, is interested in addressing is the, the food waste. Uh, it's been labeled by many as the dumbest problem we have, because it's true. You know, uh, we could definitely uh, address two problems, hunger and food waste. And uh, we don't, I mean, we do. Uh, we have a lot of great NGOs, great food banks, and 
but we still have a lot of gaps to fill and um, and still have a lot of food waste going to landfill. That doesn't make any sense, you know, because the only mountain you see in Miami-Dade are mountains of trash, okay? And in there, you have a good amount of food waste. I mean, doesn't make any sense. So uh, addressing uh, food waste, not only by allowing more donations to happen, but also by composting massively. Because at UM, we have a, a compost site in the garden. So uh, we, we take the, the, the coffee ground from Starbucks, the, the peels from uh, Smoothie King, the farmer's market, even a lot of residents from University Village and others are bringing their own bucket and we, 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 we compost there. That's great, but that's not capturing a, a, like a tenth, a fifth of, a, of what uh, we generate in terms of food waste. When you go to the, the, the dining halls, it's, it's massive. So we're trying also to have some pilots with uh, local companies like uh, Compost for Life, for instance, is one of them. We're going to have a tour soon, actually, of the facility uh, over there in, next to Redland, not far. Um, but but they're, they're, they're doing what they can. And what they can, what I mean by that is that they're, they're not able to capture uh, a lot of stuff like meat, that's a no-go, fish, it's a no-go, dairy, no. And nothing uh, compostable, you know, like what you see on the plastic cup sometimes, or plastic bag, compostable, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that works in a totally different kind of setting, like, uh, you know, commercial, industrial kind of uh, facility. That's the kind of facility we don't have here. And that's what I think hopefully we'll get at one point, like they have in other states. Um, and, uh, and that would allow for a, a more massive way of uh, composting and uh, capturing this problem of food waste. Definitely, definitely, and I, th I think food waste is one that um, at least young people that I, I've interacted with has been a really understated issue. Um, I mean, everyone talks about food choices and you know being you know plant based or vegetarian and the impacts of that. But I think the idea of you know where does our food go after we're done with it? Where, what kind of emissions does it produce after it's out of sight? Uh, I think that's a, that's a huge. You guys did an amazing area. job at creating the first food pantry in uh, at yeah. UM. And you would think uh, that, oh, yeah, because it's UM, uh, we don't have any food insecurity issue. That's not true. A lot of students are on uh, financial aid, and sometimes uh, it, it's useful to have fresh food, uh, you know, for free. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, for our listeners that aren't aware, uh, EcoAgency recently started a food pantry here at UM where uh, students experiencing food insecurity can come and get non-perishables uh, free of charge and discreetly. Um, easily accessible 24-7. So that is one of our initiatives that we just started. Uh, Teddy, one of my last questions would yep. be just, with your experience at UM, you're around college kids, um, speaking to them and not only here at UM, but also in the South Florida community as a whole, them, their parents, you know, what, what are the, the easy ways people can get involved? So everyone wants to be sustainable, but not everyone takes it into their own hands and takes the initiative. Um, what's some, some advice or some opportunities that you've experienced that you felt have really allowed you to, to grow yourself into the sustainability-oriented person that you are today? I think there's two different kind of, two big categories of things that you can do. There's the, the one that can change your life um, when you decide to go into politics, for instance. <laughs> That's definitely a big... Or to be a, a, a CEO of a company that the business model is... Uh, green circular economy, for instance, that, that's a big investment. It's a lot of risks that you're taking to make sure you know we have the cycle company, for instance, the reverse vending machine students that graduated from UM 
and now they're making uh, they're making a lot of progress. They have their machine. Uh, they were they had their machines shown at the Super Bowl uh, not not long ago. So they, they, it was bold. It was difficult, and not everybody was uh, yeah have this machine here. So um, this is life changing because right now they're actually running their their company. And when you when you run a local government, you're part of the local government. You're a politician. Thinking about um, our great friend from she she works at the um, uh, she works at the the Med Campus, uh, and she's now mayor of El Doral, for instance. So she decided to uh, to, to become uh, re-involved, and she's really green. Um, there's a, a lot of um, uh, NGO again you can be part of, and that's also life changing. Because when you start working for this, it's uh, 24-7, pretty much. Uh, so you have all this that really, um, I would say, you address the, the issue or you become a sustainability director or you, you, you start working in that field. Uh, you do uh, ESG investment for banks or, you know, you start by uh, studying it. and then, So you have that. Uh, then you have all the, the, the big category of things that you can do to make sure that wherever you are, you're part of the solution. Yeah, it might not be everything. Everything is going to be fixed by what you're doing as a consumer, or your habits, or your your, your behavior. But if you don't do it, for sure, it won't be solved. <laughs> so at least do that. And what I'm talking about is, for instance, uh, making sure that yes, you try plant-based. That we know uh, meat production around the world is one of the main culprit of uh, of climate change. Uh, so why not try uh, something different? And maybe if you don't quit totally meat, at least reduce that intake a lot, and you'll see that it's going to have a, an impact. Uh, something like planting trees, super easy. You know, someone was asking uh, one day, uh, is there a technology that we could use to fix climate change? And, uh, yeah, to capture carbon emission, I have a solution, you plant a tree. That's called a tree, that machine, really. And so, yes, there are uh, issues like where are you going to plant them? Uh, how many do you have to plant them to really fix the, the, the global warming issue? Uh, without knowing all the science, what you know internally is that it's always good to plant trees. And it's bad to cut them. <laughs> That's very simple. It's intuitive and it's true. So not only in your own property, but try to be part of a, maybe a, a, an organization that plants trees in the community. Uh, going plastic-free, that's a single-use plastic-free. It's impossible to go plastic-free because it's everywhere. But a single-use, uh, meaning there's a lot of things you can you can do without. Uh, I When I shop at Publix, I, I bring my own bags or I use paper bags. Why? Because I um, usually compost them <laughs> in my compost, my compost tumbler. But otherwise, even the, the little uh, fruits and vegetables, um, I put them directly in the cart. You know, uh, I'm going to wash them uh, at the end in my house, so uh, uh, no, no problem. And uh, same thing for bottles, uh, utensils. I, I bring my own food, you know, you see the lunch pack. I know it's not easy for everybody. It's not convenient always, and sometimes you cannot do it. But definitely there's many ways to, to go single-use plastic-free. And uh, and the, for the rest, go online. Uh, and again, miami.edu slash sustainability. You're going to find a lot of good resources in there. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was Teddy Lutelier, Sustainability Director at University of Miami. Teddy, thank you so much for being our first guest. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. My name is Ryan McMullen. I'm going to be the host of this podcast. Looking to send out new episodes weekly to every two weeks featuring leaders from not only the University of Miami, but also 
community organizations as well, uh, hoping to bring a little bit more environmental education into your lives, uh, as well as give you some interesting stories into some of the most pressing environmental issues facing South Florida.